Hey guys, welcome back to the Well Said Podcast, where we are talking about the joy and the complexity of following Jesus in a post-Christian culture. And we are back for another conversation, hopefully uh, another very interesting, challenging conversation. How are you, man? I'm great, Andre. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I'm almost done with midterm exams. I was supposed to be done by now, but I asked for an extension. Yeah, I just finished mine this week. So. Yeah. Survived? I survived, yes. Feeling, feeling a big burden off your chest? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I was at a pastor's conference this weekend, so I was going to study in between sessions, which who in the world can study in between sessions at a conference? Yeah, I like, What was that. I thinking? I don't know what I was thinking, but... I'm the person who takes <laughs> books on vacation, like, oh yeah, between like, you know, inner tubing on the lake and right. you know, hanging out with people <laughs> outside the, by the campfire, I'm going to read. Right. It never way, happens. Way overzealous. Never get, never get to it. And I was like, yeah, this is not going to happen. So I messaged my professor and he, got, he gave me a few days. That's a nice thing about, like, I think graduate classes are a lot more kind of flexible in that sense. There's, it's like, yeah, it's a midterm. Three days later, it doesn't matter. You know, you can do it. So Yeah, they assume that by that point you actually have some semblance of a life. Yeah. And you're not. Yeah. And it's a pastor's program. It's a, it's a seminary. So obviously... There's got to be some trust of the fact that I'm not lying about, you know, being at a pastor's <laughs> right. conference. That's yeah. why I can't do it. So. If you find out you're lying, you're going to get kicked out of the program, right? Yeah. Yeah. So school's going on. School's fun. One quick clarification we wanted to do uh, also, guys, before we continue into this week's subject. Got some comments back from the last episode on parents, our relationship to parents. One thing we really forgot to say, one big thing is, uh, how's your relationship with your parents, Sam? <laughs> yeah, I realized that afterward. I never actually thanked my parents. Uh, because for not kinda, being everything we discussed, right? For not right? being everything we... Yeah. Um, no, my parents are amazing. I've always had a fantastic relationship with them. Um, but the reason we decided to do that episode is just because not everybody has that luxury of wonderful parents. Not everyone is blessed in that way. Yep. Um, and it's just important to realize that your upbringing has an enormous impact on who you are and who you yeah. become. And that you have to work through those issues. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So I think sorry, mom and dad. Parents yeah. has been pretty good as well. Yeah. So it's not like, uh, I think we were both speaking from something we were observing in a lot of young people mm-hmm. around us, but out, we were both, we are both fortunate to have really good relationships with our parents. And, um, it's been cool to see how my relationship with my parents grows and evolves as I'm becoming more and more of an adult, entering adulthood, newer stages of adulthood. Uh, but definitely... The, the, this was not stuff that we were venting about our own parents right, on the right. podcast without actually talking to them directly. So mom and dad, if you hear this. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What are we talking about this week? We're talking about loneliness. Rejection, loss, loneliness are such a big part of our society uh, today. And it, it's something... Tell me, Andre, what yeah. do you think we so have it, seen? It's, it's ironic, right? It's ironic that we have so many people struggling with feeling love, acceptance, belonging, even though we live in a society that is hyper-connected. Yeah, so connected. We live like, I mean, the world has never seen this type of connectedness where you are connected to millions of people on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Hundreds um, of people are seeing what you had for lunch, if that's what you want. If that's what you want them to see, exactly. We're surrounded by people. The cities are more crowded than ever in any ways like we're living around people so much right right yeah at the same time we are so lonely um from the 1980s to the present 
Americans, like this was a Pew Research study or, or something like that, but Americans, what they call flesh and blood friends, has dropped from an average of about, of about three to two. Mm. And the number who report having zero of these flesh and blood friends has skyrocketed significantly. Hmm. That's interesting. And that's from 1980s to... To the present. To the present. That's just 20, 30 years, right? Right. Wow. Yeah, In and a I, society that has become more connected during that time. Right. More technology, more iPhones, more social media platforms, more, more ways to take pictures and share them and mm-hmm. share your thoughts, share your posts. Interesting. I think I was doing some reading, too, in prep to this, in that more people than ever are living alone today. Hmm. More people than ever are spending time alone. Uh, we work, uh, we commute, we are entertained alone, 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 you know. Everything has become uh, the automat- automatization, is that the right word, of like society. You have automatic automation, you know, f- automation yeah. maybe, yeah. Food, uh, entertainment, like everything is at the click of a button. And more and more people live by themselves. And th- really, ironically, you know, as we we talked a few episodes about the fact that our culture is hypersexualized and our culture is obsessed with sexuality and pleasure, physical pleasure. Um, and yet, if you look at the statistics of how many people are having sex, it's actually less it's than going it's down. dropping. Yeah, I heard about yeah, that. Because right. Because community is a prerequisite to healthy sexual relationships. Yeah. And and people actually are becoming less and less interested into in real physical uh, sexual partners because they have so much in terms of entertainment and that fulfills their sexuality. Yeah. That kind of starts to put go in the direction of, you know, robots and com- machines that will give you physical pleasure. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. But like, it's creepy, <laughs> okay. but it's actually real. It's happening yeah, today. Yeah. But so, in, uh, yeah, another thing with that is that, um, so we have two different kind of generations here um, that have both experienced very different things. But the millennial generation, Generation Y, th- the things that they were concerned about or that we're concerned about and that our parents were the most concerned about was generally things like alcohol, drugs, teen pregnancy, uh, which are still certainly an issue. But um, surveys indicate now that Generation Z uh, people who were born 1997 and later, they're more concerned about things like depression, anxiety, bullying, um, violence in schools, mm-hmm. a lot of things which I think loneliness is a key ingredient in a lot of those. Right. They're psychological and they're like, in terms of when it, when it comes to relating to people, it's always like antagonistic, like bullying you mentioned. It's not necessarily you're worried about problems with relationships because we don't really have as many relationships these days, right? Right. Um, I think the other ingredient here is the meltdown of a family. More kids are born to single parents than ever before. Mm, Yeah. Uh, More kids than ever start life uh, living in a home where there isn't a full family. And so more than ever, that's also undercutting relationality at like the foundational level of, of growth and development. Um, so that's another thing that has like, it, it's, it's taken out a certain source of relationship uh, when we're developing and growing. Yeah. And uh, a really good book, actually, the first few chapters are pretty much on this exclusively. Uh, it's by Ben Sass. It's called Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. It's a very recent book. He also wrote one called I think it was The Vanishing of American Adulthood. Yeah, it's a good one. 
Yeah, but he talks about how social isolation is also a key trend among the impoverished. So you mentioned um, children born uh, just as single parents. Um, people who are isolated, people who are lonely, are more likely to use drugs, to drink heavily, become pregnant out of wedlock, drop out of school, uh, distrust institutions. And the upper class, on the other hand, is more socially connected to healthy community Hmm. which provides sort of a backdrop. If you fail in one thing, if you have a minor setback, you have people to keep you going on the right track hmm. and to help you get up on your feet again. And so really what he talks about is how the divide between rich and poor is a lot more determined by social capital than financial capital. That's crazy. I mean... So, and that's funny because it's like we think that people are successful because and have they're big rich. money. Yeah, right. rich families. But really often they're rich because they're connected. Right. And not even in a bad way necessarily. They yeah. just have a larger social network and that's been built over generations. Which as as ironic as it is, right? So people, progressive or elite culture shaping kind of people who are maybe directing our culture in a new way and, and like throwing off the old traditional ways, right? Actually, they live more traditional lives than most of the culture. They do. Yeah, it's there was like <laughs> they a, have strong families. An experiment they go to good that schools. was done at Harvard about how um, the, it was a sociology class where the professor asked all these kids to raise their hand um, if they believe that being a single parent was you know just as beneficial for the child as um, a two parent household. And most of them raised their hands and said yeah. yes. <laughs> and then the professor asked, "So how many of you are from single parent households?" None of them raised their hands. Bam. That's Harvard so University, and that's and that's one the, of the progressive people who believe in right choice and change and all that stuff. Yeah. That's interesting. So the progressive people tend to be wealthier, like at Harvard, for example, right, um, and be socially connected. Yeah, it's I think. Ironic. So one pushback, maybe, or kind of uh, playing devil's advocate, somebody might ask, "What do you mean we're so?" lonely uh isn't society more than ever collectively uniting uh aren't we seeing in say the social justice awareness mm -hmm. and movement and all that stuff so aren't we seeing a collective unity in society these days yeah. more than, aren't, aren't we standing up for the underdog aren't we fighting for individual rights more than ever um aren't we like you know, John Lennon's song, Imagine, you know, we're a brotherhood of man uniting across all lines to create a more unified society. Aren't we doing that? How are we more fragmented and lonely? Why, why is that, why is that leading to yeah, loneliness? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, um, the breakdown of the local society, the small town, uh, the church, all these different social institutions that have traditionally been a part of our society, um, the breakdown of those has caused people to request more of the government, to mm. fill the gap that has been left as those institutions have collapsed, mm -hmm. um, yeah. to, to bring in the order that they normally provided in people's social lives. Yeah. And the, and the breakdown is happening because one of the key ingredients of our culture, one of the biggest assumptions of the story that is, that is maybe filling culture today, right, is this idea of radical individualism. I think as I've been thinking about this subject of loneliness, I think this concept of radical individualism is one of the most prominent pieces, but it's also one of the toughest to nail down in your own personal life. Because like, 
I think that when I'm thinking about this loneliness thing, I don't only see it as a problem out there in the culture, in the left, in the anti-Christian world. I see loneliness as a problem among young adults in the church, right? Like I see loneliness as a problem in churches struggling with community. So um, I think this idea of radical individualism that our culture tells us the story that I'm at the center and... Right, the community is not at the center. Christ is not at the center. Your church is not at the center. You are at the center. Right. And all of those things are supposed to make you feel better. Right, right. Those things come into my life. But because I'm at the center, I have to have the options. I have to have the options of freedom, of to withdraw or to connect. Uh, I have to have the freedom to choose anything. And it's interesting. I was actually reading this article from a British uh, journalist this, today and he, he points out this fascinating idea of this idea of choice, right? It's like one of the key pieces to the whole uh, leftist political system today. Choice, choice, choice. Yeah. Uh, it's most right. of the people advocating for third trimester late term abortions don't actually want to have one of those abortions ever. And they never will. Right. They just want the choice. And it's crazy because here's the, here's the idea of choice and radical individualism. I... I am told to society tells us you are at the center of your life and you need to have the ability to choose anything you want. So if anybody tells you that you can't make a choice about certain things, that's an enemy, that's an oppressor. We must have the freedom to choose anything we want, right? But here's, here's the, here's the catch to this whole idea of choice and freedom. The moment that you've made the choice, you no longer have the choice anymore. Right? So if you've chosen to be conservative or whatever, mm-hmm. if you've chosen to, uh, to, not ha- to have an abortion, you, have you no longer have yeah. the choice because you've done it already. Yes. You've committed. Right? You've created a value hierarchy in which what the choice that you made, you now value above all other things. Right. So automatically, if you want to have choice, you also have to have sides and reasons, right? But the problem is the moment you've chosen in this society, you're seen as another oppressor because you're saying, this is my way, this is my truth, or this is mm-hmm. what I believe is true. But now all of a sudden, everybody's telling me, why am I imposing my truth on everybody else, Yeah. right? So what this does, I think, and especially to young people today, I think, a lot of people live in this individualistic, like we're afraid of choice because we are told in the culture, through the movies, through the music, through the TV shows, we are told that the ultimate place of freedom is the place of choice. And that make, gives us this almost anxiety about making choices because we're told, because we know that the moment we make a choice, the moment I take this job, the moment I open my life to this person, the moment I start this friendship, mm. I'm losing the choice because I'm committing. I'm right. losing the freedom because I'm committing. Yeah, it's like that we, we have so many options in our society now that we, it's like we have choice paralysis. Yeah, like, because we value What do I freedom. want my career to be? Like there's 20 different things, you know, I could do all of them. Right. And what if I pick the wrong one? Right. And we're, when we're talking about loneliness, you're talking about an entire culture of people stuck in limbo. Mm-hmm. Stuck in the limbo of choice, you know? Well, I, I want to have the freedom to choose my career, so I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have kids. I'm not going right. to tie myself down with relationships. Right, or I'm um, so busy with school that I just, I, I can't develop friendships with other people. Right. 
or, or I mean, that could be romantic. It could just be a basic friendship, um, just any type of relationship with another person. But that's something I hear a lot from students right. who are really busy is I just don't have time for, to, to be in a friendship or right. to go to social events. Yeah. And, be, and because of that, you end up with coworkers, colleagues, uh, peers. Yeah, who right? you don't know. Right, right, right. And you can even do stuff with them. You can, I see a lot of people in their 20s, um, you know, this is the time when it's my freedom, so I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy life. We have a lot of fun because we have money because we don't spend it on anyone but ourselves. But the thing is, we end up having a bunch of empty, meaningless fun. Mm, and it yeah. makes us even more lonely because I don't have these amazing experiences. They become curses because the joy of an experience... Is to share it with somebody. Yeah, yeah. You have no mm. one to share it with. Right. So relationships... So instead we post pictures of it on social media. Right, and we hope we get a lot of likes. And the likes generate some sort of little serotonin or some yeah, sort of endorphin rush in your brain. Rush, dopamine yeah. rush, and you're like, oh, yay, this is cool. And then there's a drop, and you feel depressed. Yeah, and then you have to go do something else fun. Yeah, yeah. And the more, the, the more I think the more you go through that cycle, it's, more, it's like a corkscrew mm-hmm. into the depressive, lonely yeah. state. Yeah, a lot of um, therapists now, like psychologists, report that so many young people are coming to them for depression, but they've determined that really the root of their depression is that they are lonely. It's crazy. They, there's a stigma about coming to your therapist and talking about the fact that you're lonely because it's like, well, everyone's lonely sometimes. Yeah. Right? So the, you've got the, but at least really you've got the therapist. The therapist is there to listen. but Yeah. But they're depressed because they're lonely. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's the antidote? Yeah. So the antidote, and, and this really, I think, um, points light to the simple fact. You can be surrounded by people. You can have family, you can have peers, you can have coworkers, you can have romantic lovers, and you can still be alone. Yes. Because the key ingredient that fills all those things, whether it be coworkers, family members, peers, whatever, the thing that makes all those things wonderful is true friendship. Uh, and true friendship is a concept that is more elusive than ever today because radical individualism cancels out the opportunity for true friendship. Mm. Um, so what is true friendship? Do you feel like you have had good friends in your life? Yeah, I do. Like for sure. I wouldn't say you I'm be- the type you of You better person. say yes because we're friends and yeah. I'm, ex- <laughs> yeah. I'm expecting you. I just blew you off. No. <laughs> I'm never... lonely. I have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, no, I've never been the type of person though that has a lot of friends. Yeah. And I'll freely admit that. I'm not some social extrovert that's just out there always wanting to meet new people. But I have had friends who are extremely important to me who I feel like um, if I needed them to, they would drop everything and come to me mm-hmm. and help. Mm-hmm. And I would do the exact same thing for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've... And I'm trying to... It's hard to trace yeah. back like what, where and how um, that picks up. But I think I've... I don't remember a single time in my life that I was lonely. And that does not mean that I haven't had hard times, really tough times, challenges. Also, I've had challenges that I haven't been able to share with others as much or something like that. There's, there's mm, been lonely yeah. moments, right, but yeah. fundamental loneliness hasn't been there. Because every season of life, I think back, there have been essential friendships present in those moments. Yeah. 
But the other thing is that it actually takes effort to cultivate those friendships. Right. The fact that I've had friends like that, they don't just come and just, you know, appear in your life one day right. and they're there. You have to pour into them. You have to make an effort to share experiences with them mm-hmm. and they with you. Um, in fact, we, we got an interesting question about this yeah. on yeah. our Instagram. So I, before we get to the question, though, I want to just kind of talk about what makes good friendships. So even you looking back at the best friendships you've had, I'll look, I'm looking back at the best friendships. What, do you, what makes a good friendship? And before you answer, I want to lead with this quote from C.S. Lewis, which has like been burned in my head the first <laughs> time I read it. And I was like, yes, wow, that's amazing. Um, where he says, you know, the essential, and I'm paraphrasing, the essential uh, core seed of real friendship is when you say to someone, what you two I thought I was the only one. So the mm. idea being that um, friends are discovered. Friendship is discovered. It's not created out of nowhere. And it's cre- it is discovered when you collide with someone and you discover a common love. Yeah. A I mean, common, it, it isn't created, but it is cultivated. It, it's cultivated, but before it's cultivated, it's discovered. It's discovered. Right. 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 So you discover a connection. Um, you discover something that unites with the person and something that you're passionate about, something that you love and that other person is passionate and lo- you know, loves. And that's really a fundamental difference between friendship and like, for example, just romantic attraction. Romantic attraction is, if you make the analogy, it's face to face. It's a face to face relationship, whereas friendship is shoulder to shoulder on the road together there's a common journey that binds you and and you know some of my best friendships it's cool because it's like over the years you know some of these friends we're, we're growing up into adulthood we have kids you know lives careers and you can go two months without talking and then you just right pick and they up just pick it back right up where, and you can talk for yeah. hours yeah and it's not small talk yeah nothing nothing yeah. has changed it's just there it's still there the road the common road is still mm. there anyways what is what? What are characteristics of a good friendship? I think you just described half of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but more like what? I, I, talking to people, yeah, maybe yeah. if you're if you're describing this to somebody who is like, man, you know, I'm really lonely. Uh, I'm on my phone a lot. I don't have any yeah, friends. Yeah. I and somebody who tells you, Sam, I want friends. How do I get <laughs> friends? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think the first thing is availability. Or mm-hmm. constancy, mm-hmm. like you have to be there, and they have to be there for you. Mm-hmm. You have to actually make an effort to pour into their lives, mm-hmm. and that means just going and like doing things together, mm-hmm. having common interests. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, since that's such an important thing, it's hard to be really good friends with somebody you don't have anything in common with. Right, right. Like that is an important thing. If if you're just polar opposites, yeah, you're probably not going to be fantastic friends. Um, but you also don't want somebody who's exactly the same as you. Right. I think kind of quoting back to Lewis, when he wrote that, he also, he then writes, so any person who just says, please, I want friends. I want friends is never going to have friends Yeah, uh, because you're still oriented around yourself. And, and friendship is something that is discovered when you orient your heart out into the world. Right. So I think that's one of the problems, um, 
I've never been a part of one of these groups, but I hear that like church singles groups or young adults groups are kind of a disaster often because people just go with the expectation of finding somebody. Right. And they don't actually pour into the community or into the group and actually become a part of it. They just go. And if they're lucky enough to find somebody, they both just kind of disappear. Right. Well, and the only, and the other thing is you've got a bunch of people looking for friendship or a relationship, whereas relationship comes when two people find things that they're interested in outside of each other. Right. The whole point is you both love this or that, and that's how you became friends or whatever, Mm. you know, like the connection. So um, I think, and this again hits back at the radical individualism. So our culture is always preaching to us that life is all about us. And if your life is completely oriented around you, your problems, your goals, your ideas, your pleasure, uh, your benefits, you're never going to be a person who's going to be able to have real friendships because you are completely oriented around yourself. Like you said earlier, friendship requires constancy and availability. And, and in our culture, in an individualistic culture, we're, you're always just um, mentally, uh, you're always mentally calculating the risk and benefit analysis, right? You're always like, okay, what, what can I get from this person? Yeah, which is terrible. If but. you're doing that to people, if you're in your head thinking, okay, well, how, how, should, you know, how much time am I going to invest and what's that going to give me? What benefit is this going to give me? You're, you're never going to have good friendships because right. you're always seeking from people something. You're always using them to get to somewhere else. You don't want actually the person themselves, you know, and yeah. you're not available to them just because you're yeah. available. Yeah, if you've ever met somebody or been a friend of somebody and then your relationship just kind of faded off and you felt used, yeah, that's probably what happened is they saw you as a means to an end. And a lot of us have, have been there in some yeah. ways Yeah, with certain I, people. Yeah, and I, and I think that's, you know, I've had experiences with people who it's, it just always feels like they're calculating something. It's like they'll show up if there's some sort of visible benefit for them. Mm-hmm. But when you stop calling or stop texting or stop inviting they just disappear and it's like well that just shows me it's not like i'm trying to be selfish here but a relationship cannot work that way friendship means just saying hey you know what we're bound together we're i'm i'm committed to you and i'm open to you and today that's really hard for young people to do because if you if we just live in an individualistic atheistic world why should i like why why would i why would i make that risk. Why right. would I open my life and my mind and my heart, my struggles? Right. Yeah. No, and that's the other thing is vulnerability. Right. 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 That and you, emotional vulnerability. I mean, it doesn't mean that you just the first time you meet somebody, you pour out your heart to right. them and tell, oh, I've had all these. I, that's probably extremely unattractive to to most yeah. people. But sharing those common experiences and understanding another person's soul, not even romantically, but just as a friend, right, is a very powerful thing. And I mean, I think it's important to realize that probably the primary thing that God uses in our lives to change us for the better is other people, mm-hmm. the people that he puts in our lives. Right, right. Um, I think it, it comes back to this t- uh, quote. I listened to a, a talk by Tim Keller, which we'll, we will include the link, you guys, in the info on the show We'll include the link for that book by Ben Sass, and we'll include the link for this talk by Tim Keller on friendship. So good. I've listened to it like numerous times, and I go back to it and listen hmm. to it again. I'm like, man, this is so great. Um, but he's, he summarizes it. He says, a, a true friend always lets you in and never lets you down. So there's that balance between emotional connectedness opening up 
and all, also the balance between being available and being there and knowing what, what's going on in the other person's life. So, you know, yeah. relationships are going to be the most draining thing in your life. That's, that's a fact. Right, but, but they're also the most rewarding. Right, that's where the joy is. That's where, yeah. that's where we're meant. And they're only rewarding if you're not calculating. Right. If you give freely without expectation of return and the other person does the same thing, they're rewarding. Right. Yeah, ask yourself the question, I guess. Um, if everything around you just fell apart, if it was your career that you lost, your job, um, if you dropped out of school or failed out of school, you know, whatever it may be, all the things that you pursue in this world, who would you have there to come to your side and help pick you back up again? Right. Do you have people like that? And, and also, more importantly, are you that kind of person to others? Yes. Because a lot of people want friends and they want someone to run to and to be encouraged by, but they don't want to be that person. They don't mm-hmm. want to open their life because they think that this is going to cost me so much. And what if I get abused? What if I get used? What if yeah. they don't give back? Right. Right. And a lot of people grow up, you know, going back to like our last podcast in very bad relationships with their family and with other people at a right. young age. And they're naturally distrusting of others. And it's very hard for them to develop friendships. Um, and, you know, that has to be addressed in its own way. But. Yeah, and I think actually connected to that, it's a really important point. Because, what, guys, what we're saying here, I think I would say, I would say friendship is a quality that can be present to varying degrees in every kind of relationship that you have in life, right? So you can have, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can have yeah, friendship yeah. with your parents as you grow up like you you need that a, a type of friendship with your parents for um a relationship to start to grow right yes you need uh, in marriage what i've seen in you know six years of being married one of the most important ingredients in love and romance is friendship hmm. if you have good friendship with your spouse you have the most amazing romantic love it all f- flows from the core of friendship you can have friendship with your siblings. So, but when we're when we're saying this, it also does mean that when you're when you're talking about seeking and choosing friends who will be in a deeper way friends with you in life, I think that there has to be sensitivity and wisdom there. You don't just open up your life story to the next person coming down right. the aisle. Um, there's guidance, but but if you're aware of this then you become the kind of person who knows when God sends a good friend your way. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. So speaking of that though, what, and I think, cause I think we're hitting at like, shoot man, I gotta be good. I gotta be this kind of good <laughs> spiritual person. I gotta be able to give. So as, you know, I think there's two questions that kind of come together. What does friendship have to do with following Jesus? Mm, yeah. And how do I become the kind of friend that is able to give and love. And these two questions are kind of linked, but I think yeah, it's we, key to talked, ask that first talked question. about them for sure. What does friendship have to do with following Jesus? Our relationships on earth are supposed to be a reflection of relationships in heaven. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at God, God is a triune being, mm-hmm. three persons in one essence in perfect relationship, perfect constancy, availability, vulnerability, support, and um, so that is present at the foundation of reality yeah. from a Christian perspective. Yeah. The whole story 
is the universe is born out of the love song of the creator. Hmm. I mean, if you Genesis is poetic and beautiful, Genesis one, because it's meant to show you that creation was an act of love out of the abundance of the Trinity, which is like an amazing, crazy thing to think mm. about, right? Yeah. And then Jesus, like when, when you talk about the perfect friend, the perfect supporting one who comes alongside you, really you're describing Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the only one who, lived, who, who, who was that man and who exemplifies that kind of person to whom you can turn with perfect constancy, with perfect availability, with perfect vulnerability, and with perfect shaping force that he brings to you, he challenges you, right? Um, And I think it's really interesting how Jesus uses the word friend to describe his relationship with disciples. He says, no longer do I call you, um, shoot, I forgot the specific reference. He says, no longer do I call you uh, my my disciples either. or whatever, but he says, but I call you friends because mm-hmm. a friend lays down his life for others. For, or, or no greater love is this than one who lays down his life for friends. Jesus literally says that when he's talking about that in, in the gospel of John. So Jesus shows us that God brings uh, cosmic friendship into your soul through the gospel, through the love and friendship of Jesus you have the opportunity to be awakened and to be filled and then to be the kind of person that Christ is to you, you to others, right? Right. So as Jesus changes your life by entering your life and your heart and and shows you ultimate friendship and belonging, um, the other crazy thing is, you know, he draws you into a community uh, of people who also are likewise filled uh, with him and his yeah. love and his story. So drawn by a common bond. And you know right. that, and that was the whole thing yeah. we started with earlier, right? Yeah, you're not the same as all these people. Yeah. They're not carbon copies of you and your Actually, interests. Actually, very different. They're very different, right? Yeah. If if anyone of course has been a part of a church, they know this. Yeah. Um, that there are so many different people from different walks of life. Um, but the point is that you're united in Christ and they're a family that will go out of their way to to help you and you will go out of your way to help them in the same way that Christ died selflessly for us in many right. ways. And it actually provides you with the perfect setup to, ha- to grow in true friendship. Now, this is crucial because this does not mean that if you're part of the church, if you're a Christian and you're surrounded by other Christians, voila, you're going to have awesome friendships. No, no, no. It still has to be discovered. It still has to be built. But when you see the church, you see a bunch of very different people drawn by a common bond, a common love, a common passion, a common way, right? So anyone who's truly on fire about Christ and his good news is a person with whom you can have profoundly connecting experiences together because you both, you're not faking it. You're really on a journey together right. following Jesus. Yeah, if you truly believe the same thing, then you already have that in common. And I think a lot of people are missing, they're forfeiting this opportunity because they have, because somehow we visualize, I think the the whole um, task of discipleship, like this whole spiritual thing that uh, destroys authenticity in relationships. And so I think what a lot of young people in the church do is they have friendships with other Christians, but their friendships are, have nothing to do with Jesus. 
Mm. So they're, so right. like like you know what I'm saying like all these young people who gather and they're like they're all Christians and so they go hiking together and they you know do all this stuff together they they you know go out and go on trips and drink coffee together and hang out and talk about their favorite TV shows and movies but they're not actually talking about Jesus because it's the awkward thing to do okay I get that maybe there's some sort of barrier there but do you understand that true friendships and true unity comes when we are united on the deepest things. So Mm, if you open space in your relationships and you ask yourself, is my, are my Christian relationships really rooted in the common pilgrimage of following Jesus in a crazy world like ours in a crazy struggling heart like mine? Yeah. That's what my friendship is about, sharing these experiences, supporting each other, praying, teaching, instructing, challenging each other. Mutual beliefs, not just mutual interests. Yeah. That's the platform for the most amazing friendships because you're both tied to Jesus and therefore you're tied to each other. And I think lots of times we neglect that. We're like, we don't speak truth to each other because it's it's the thing we're, we're supposed to do. And so therefore it's the awkward, scary, unpleasant thing. Yeah. But we're missing, like, it's like the best item of the meal is on the table and we're like, avoiding that. Yeah, yeah. And we're just feeding off appetizers. That's really funny because that's like the last thing that I, I, I was thinking that a guy wants to hear when he asks a Christian girl out is, oh, yeah, I, I like you as a brother in Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're my friend. You're my brother in Christ. Oh, yeah. thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, you have to understand that discipleship is inseparable from friendship, really. And I think this is where discipleship models go wrong with churches who like create discipleship programs. Right. And, and it's you like, you're my a, disciple. In a boring room, you know, with some guy who's older than you and he disciples you. And there's like, no relationship. Yeah. That, that never works. Nope. Jesus was a real, like, Jesus hung out with his guys. They ate fish by the sea. They talked over the campfire. And like, I'm sure that he was the most amazing person to hang out with. You know, that's where it starts. So you got to seek that. You got to seek true friendship, and I think that kind of comes up on this question we got on Instagram, where we posted the uh, the question that you could have asked. Send in your questions. Uh, if you're not following on it, us on Instagram, that's one reason you should, because you can con- communicate a little better. Um, somebody said, "What do you do with friendships where you keep pouring in and they don't reciprocate?" Right, where you're the only bu- person who's putting in that effort. Right, and they're not. So, what would you say, Sam? How you, how would you yeah, I would ask the tough question. Um, well, first of all, the question is how long have you been doing that? Yeah. Um, because if it's still a relationship in its early stages, then, you know, maybe there's hope for it. But if it's been continually you pouring in and then not doing anything, um, then maybe it's time to ask the question, is this really a real friendship? Yeah. Um, and maybe even have that conversation with the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be careful about how you go about that, of course. But, um, you know, ask, is there anything going on in your life? I feel like, you know, we haven't been uh, connecting as well as we once did. Yeah. Or and I've and maybe had these kind of conversations. something that they really need your support during that time. Yeah. And it's tough. But it, especially, I think you can answer this question differently as a Christian, very differently mm-hmm. than as a non-Christian. A non-Christian... You're, if you're strictly speaking sociologically, psychologically, you know, relationally, uh, you could just say, well, this person isn't really a friend. I'm pouring in. They're not giving back. There's nothing here. See you later. Right. Um, 
from a spiritual perspective, if you know that you're, co- you're common pilgrims on the road to following Christ, you know, and you have to, you have to, you can, you can always break in and say, you know, look, I, I care about you. I love you. And, um, I just don't feel like you really care about me and you're, you know, responding to me. And I think as a fellow Christian, you want to ask yourself, is there reasons? Is there things in that person? Is there some sort of sin hindering them? Is there something going on in their life that's preventing them from realizing that uh, relationships are always two-way, a two-way street? And not only just relationships, but discipleship in the church, it's always a two-way street. Every single Christian is called to, to help somebody else grow. Hmm. Yeah. Every, every Christian relationship you have is an opportunity for those people to um, be blessed and be impacted by the grace that God has given you. You know what I'm saying? So right. having that tough conversation and saying, and I've had these kind of conversations, yeah, and it's, it's like really awkward and difficult. to answer just because there, there's so much that can go into a friendship yeah. and reasons why that might happen. But, but The person who asked this question, I think, is a Christian too. So yeah. um, how, you know, what is their view of the church? What is their view of Christian relationships? What is that person's view of discipleship? Do they know Jesus? If they do, do they understand that we are bound to each other in responsibility and love to build each other up. And why are they not doing that? So that that's a, and I think this hits on, a, on an aspect of friendship that I don't know if we, we spoke earlier, is that, you know, real friendship has friction. Real friendship is with people who are not totally like you. Mm. And because you have a common bond, because you have trust, you also have the freedom to challenge each other to rebuke, to be like, look, I love you. And that's why I'm saying these hard things. The best friends are the ones that are going to say really hard things to you because they love you because they're not afraid of you. That's the most amazing kind of people you can have. When I look at my best friend, he's exactly that. He's not just like me. We have so many common interests and above all, we have this common belief and this common faith in Jesus. Um, But we challenge each other because we're also very different. Right. So I think you know, thinking about this whole subject for the, from a Christian lens specifically, and it's very important from a Christian lens because in the Christian story, you are opened to have true community because you enter the community of God, the Trinity, and his people. That's where true friendship is restored and born, you know. So young people who are Christ followers, who are fundamentally lonely, have to ask themselves, what is the state of their discipleship, you know? What is the state of their relationship to the church? Hmm. Um, it's actually a spiritual obedience question. If you're feeling always lonely as a Christian, the question is, how's your obedience, how's your relationship with Christ? How's your relationship to his people? Um, so kind of closing off, I want to read this other quote from Lewis, who he's amazing on the subject of friendship. Um, this is from The Four Loves his book on relationships, and there's a chapter on friendship. He says, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, and any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christians and their friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Hmm. 
The Christian friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to us each the beauties of the others. Wow. I have a lot there. That's amazing. So that's something to close off on, something to think about. Um, Send us what you guys think. Any other questions or thoughts? Uh, Check out Tim Keller's message on friendship. Yeah, we'll we'll post. In fact, that. we'll do follow up questions. If you have a question about an episode from a previous week or the previous week, we will try to address it on the next episode. There you go. That'll be that'll be what we start off, just like we started today. Thank you guys so much for hanging in um, and listening. Please let us know what you think. Fo- follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. All the social media things are there. Um, more importantly, that we just yeah, yeah. yeah, those things are good tools <laughs> in their own way. Uh, leave a review on iTunes if you can. That really helps other people find the show. It, it helps us, you know, have more availability. Also, if you love what you're hearing, send it to somebody. Send it to a friend as a thank you. Uh, send it to a good friend. And uh, if you want to support the show, check out the, the support tab in well-said.org. That's our website. This whole project has expenses. You know, we got to buy stuff. We got to pay for memberships online for stuff that makes it work. And we want to improve the show. We want to grow it. We don't just want to keep doing it and surviving. We want to keep improving and keep uh, pursuing new ways of reaching new people and bringing more content to you guys. So if you feel like you've benefited from it, consider supporting it. Check out that link too. And uh, thank you so much. We will talk to you guys next week. 